Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Tint, I'm your host, Scott Holman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Words matter, don't they? Okay, I have a confession to make. I think I should have never coined the term botanical style aquarium to describe the approach that we take to our aquariums. Now, a lot of people are under the impression that this is some style of aquascaping our tanks. It's not a style of aquascaping. I think it's kind of my fault, the confusion that is. I suppose that I can explain a little bit here. I mean, it was important for me to put down a marker, so to speak, a few years back to explain what makes this approach different than other more conventional methodologies to create and operate aquariums. I mean, we introduce botanical materials into our aquariums to help build out the physical, ecological, and chemical environment in which our fishes live. So I tried to quantify it with a name. I guess it made sense at the time. However, the problem is that I used the word style as part of the descriptor. And that seems to imply that this is a style of aquascaping in an aquarium, the exact thing I didn't want to do. And the term is sort of stuck. Yet it's so much more than a style, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. It's a methodology, an approach to creating and managing a specialized aquatic ecosystem within the aquarium for the benefit of the fishes, which are accustomed to these types of habitats in nature. Perhaps it should be called the Botanical Method Aquarium? Well, doesn't sound as sexy. It must be a better way to say it, a word that's less open to misinterpretation. Likely there is. And yet I use the damn word style. Ah! The idea is, and always was, to look at nature differently than we have in the past as aquarists. It's a fundamental shift in how we keep aquariums. For way, way too many years, the hobbies preached a sort of edited or sanitized version of nature. I mean, think about it. Aquarium hobby doctrine has implored us to keep things clean and to discourage the accumulation of organic detritus, to remove decomposing materials, keep our water crystal clear and invisible, and to vilify and remove algae whenever it appears. Speaking of nature, uh, it's another term that we in the hobby seem to have appropriated for whatever suits us, and it's confusing too. The term nature, like style, seems to be interpreted differently by different people in the hobby, and it's important to understand this. Words do matter, right? Or perhaps how we interpret words matter. The problem with using the term nature, as I see it, is that we in the hobby have engaged in sort of selectively picking and choosing what our hobby culture considers the good parts of nature and editing, downplaying, and resisting those which don't fit the guidelines set by the hobby hegemony. Okay, perhaps I'm being a bit harsh, but it's for a reason. Consider this. Over the century or last century or so of the modern hobby, a lot of hobbyists and authors have espoused embracing natural processes and have sung the praises of algae, you know, stuff like that. I'm glad they have. However, the modern or postmodern successful aquarium as presented to us in books, magazines, and social media is almost always depicted as this perfectly manicured, scrupulously clean box of water. Sort of not exactly natural, or is it? It's a strange dichotomy, right? 
And props to the late Takashi Yamano, who in his early essays encouraged us to embrace this stuff when we create aquariums. Only to have, in my opinion, popular aquarium culture grab and run with the art part of his equation at the exclusion of almost all else, conveniently assigning many of nature's most compelling natural processes to the metaphorical dustbin while celebrating stuff like symmetry, color grouping, wood placement, and weirdly named rock selection instead. It's tragic in my opinion. Let's be more precise and thoughtful when we use words like natural to describe our tanks. Oh, here we come. Random micro rant alert. Haven't done one of these in a while. Don't even start me on the latest aquascaping craze of gluing little pieces of roots and things to, to wood and stuff to rocks. I mean, I get it, you want to create something that maybe it's hard to do or whatever, but whatever happened to gravity and patience? Like, find the right rock, find the right piece of wood or root or whatever, and do it that way. I know everyone hates me for criticizing this practice because it's so stupid and so petty of me, but sometimes I can be stupid and petty. But damn, if it were done to create something that actually looks natural, maybe I'd be on board for it. You can do weird, natural-looking stuff with skillful application of wood to rocks by, you know, gravity and wedging things and stuff. But glue? Really? And do you see some of the stuff people do when they glue rocks and wood together? It's weird, and like weird as in like you wouldn't see that in nature or not the way they do it. And much of it hardly looks natural to me. Maybe in Middle Earth or wherever, you know, aquascaping contest judges live, this is natural, but like what planet did that shit form on? Okay, enough. Micro rant over. Told you I would detour. That happens, right? Anyway, back to my screw-up. Botanical-style aquarium. Ugh! The fuck was I thinking, really? Seriously. I can't help but feel like, by invoking style, I contributed to the ongoing elevation of fluff over substance in the hobby. Yeah. It seems to be an aesthetics over everything world in the hobby right now, which is why the terms aquascaping and style seem to evoke weird reactions in me. But that's just me, and who am I to tell the world how to play? This is just my podcast and my blog, so I can talk about it, but it is annoying to me. Especially when people consistently use terms like nature and natural to describe their undecidedly unnatural, primarily artistic works. Just because you have plants and fish in your tank doesn't mean it's a depiction of nature as it is. Yet, year after year, you see the latest aquascaping contest winners, often consisting of aquatic moss-bedecked, artificially constructed bonsai trees and some highly stylized underwater forest diorama, being lauded by the world as an incredible natural aquarium. A lot of art and not as much nature, in my humble opinion. Now look, there's nothing wrong with the executions. They're brilliant, they're skillful, these guys are amazing, better than I could ever hope to do. And the aquarium lauds that, the world lauds that, but that's not all. I mean, anything that departs from that prototype seems to have been systematically discouraged, frowned upon, and even vilified by parts of the aquarium community. The problem here is not that they're doing these things. That's cool. The problem is that the general public, who might be keenly unaware of the realities of what the natural aquatic habitats look like, see these works, which are labeled as nature, only to perhaps be incredibly disappointed when they actually see a real aquatic habitat and say, yuck, that looks horrible. They never get a chance to see and appreciate what unedited nature actually looks like. And that's a tragedy as these environments are, you know, under threat year after year. We need to think about that. And then there's to an outsider to the contest world like me, the nature part of nature, it seems like it's become almost an annoyance while celebrating the teachings of Mr. Umano, which is just another strange dichotomy. You know, on one hand, praising his, you know, uh, nature the creations and all this stuff and then doing these things that are so ridiculously artificial and just thinking that's the bee's knees 
The reality is that to Mr. Romano, nature was the whole fucking game. He was right. And then along came us, Tenon, me, whatever, all you guys. Now, I won't ever compare myself or Tenon to Mr. Romano. That's not what I'm talking about. All we did was pick up the ball and run with the idea that natural processes should be studied, understood, exalted, and celebrated. Not polished out and edited to fit conveniently into our idea of what nature should look like. If I'm nothing else, I'm the advocate for do nature more naturally. And we should be excited by this stuff. Decomposition, sediment, fungal growths, biofilms, tinted water, food webs, and turbidity. These are all fascinating things. They occur for a reason. They have a certain look because that's what the processes invoke. They're part of the process and function of nature. They impart a certain look to things, and we should accept and anticipate this as part of the aesthetics of this type of approach. I mean, all those things found in the wild, happening in your own aquarium, it's incredible. So what about botanicals? Okay, the idea of utilizing botanicals in the aquarium could be whatever you want, sure. However, if you ask me, and likely you didn't, the idea of utilizing these materials in our tanks was to create environmental conditions and foster a biome of organisms which work together to form a closed microcosm. That's incredible to me. That's a really interesting part of it. In fact, it's the challenge of our times in the hobby, in my opinion, to create aquariums where, which in function and form, replicate many of the wild natural aquatic habitats that we find so compelling as closely as possible. As I've said a lot lately, the look is only part of the equation. In, in reality, the best part of the aesthetic comes as a collateral result of the function of these processes. It's a tough way to interpret it, I know, but that's the reality we embrace. Stuff looks a certain way because the function is happening a certain way. Then there's this whole blackwater aquarium thing and throwing botanicals in our tanks to influence the aquatic environment in the hopes of creating blackwater. I hope we haven't added to the enormous body of lousy information that's out there on this subject in the hobby. We might have, or at least we might have initially. First off, as I say virtually every time we talk about it, this is not a new concept. We had nothing to do with the invention of the practice or the creation of blackwater aquariums or that stuff. Hobbyists have been tossing in leaves and stuff like that to their aquariums for years to initiate breeding and facilitate the health of some real challenging fishes. What we did is we came along and we elevated the approach, studied the processes, and celebrated the function in addition to the look. We're likely the loudest voice on this stuff right now, but nobody, not us, not anybody that I'm aware of, invented this practice. Maybe we played some role in the recent awakening of interest in blackwater aquariums or utilizing materials that are natural in nature found in aquariums. The whole concept of utilizing these materials to create not only healthy chemical environments for our fishes, but to create aesthetically fascinating, remarkably faithful replications of natural habitats is being given some new life thanks to the work of a global community of hobbyists. That's you. Thankfully, the idea of blackwater aquariums being seen as a sideshow curiosity is really falling by the wayside as hobbyists are utilizing these types of tanks to keep even fishes which have been with us for decades and achieving remarkable results and discovering a new aesthetic and enjoyment in the process. And of course, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what exactly blackwater actually is. Now, I'm not going to give you the definitive definition, but suffice it to say, black waters are typically rather acidic, more so than typically more neutral white waters, as ecologists classify clear waters, although color is absolutely not an indicator of pH. This has been confounded and confused in the hobby for years and years and years. Black water refers to the color, sure, but it's more than just that. It's about a specific set of chemical characteristics. The major difference between black water and clear or white water is the lower concentration of magnesium, sodium, potassium, and calcium ions that are present. 
those major ions are very low in black waters. And the concentration of humic and fulvic acids, most of which are present as a result of the geology and soils of the surrounding terrestrial environments, are not strictly from leaves and wood and such, as we played with in our aquarium interpretations historically. And of course, this lack of certain major ions has ecological implications, doesn't it? It's like why you don't find a ton of shrimp and crustaceans and mollusks in some of these blackwater habitats. It's hard to build up a calcareous shell in the absence of calcium, right? Yeah. Now, in the podzol, remember that kind of soil, the podzol soil where blackwater originates, most of the extractable substances in the surface litter layer are humic acids, typically coming from decaying plant material, leaves and roots and all that kind of stuff. Scientists have concluded that the greater input of plant litter leads to greater input of humic substances into the groundwater. In other words, those leaves that accumulate on the substrate are putting out significant amounts of humic acids, as we talked about previously. And although humic substances like fulvic acid are found in both blackwater and clearwater habitats, the organic detritus, you know, from leaves and stuff, in blackwater contains more extractable fulvic acid than clearwater habitats, as you might suspect. The Rio Negro, for example, contains mostly humic acids, indicating that the suspended sediment selectively absorbs humic acids from blackwater. The low concentration of sus suspended sediments in rivers like the Rio Negro is one of the main reasons why high concentrations of humic acids are maintained. With little to no suspended sediment, there's no adsorbent surface other than the substrate of the river upon which these acids can take hold of or adsorb. There's a lot more to it than this. I mean, there's way more than I could explain here, way more than I even personally understand, but you get the idea. And it's out there for the study and if you go on some scientific sites and find this stuff. Now, what about the lower pH levels that everybody seems obsessed with getting, at least in our world, they want to achieve these low pH. You know, I get a lot of emails that, that people asking questions and, and it requires more than just, more understanding than just, you know, what do I add to my tank to get 5.6 pH? Here's my lesson, more gentle scolding to all of us. We need to study and educate ourselves on this stuff. And some of the reading we need to do is dry and perhaps challenging. However, if we don't do some of this work, we'll continue to propagate unintentionally misinformation on the subject. Some of the most common questions we receive or attend and are like, how much blank do I need to get my water to look like blank? <laughs> or how much blank is needed to lower the pH to my tank? Or how much do I need to get a good amount of humic substances and tannins into my aquarium? They're good questions. However, I usually respond with a simple, I don't know. These are all really good questions, logical, important, yet I kind of feel like many hobbyists are looking for a plug and play formula or a recipe or how to achieve certain completely predictable parameters using leaves or whatever. And this is how magic potions are formed and marketed. I totally get that. But the reality is there is no recipe for how to do this stuff at the moment. Sure, there's techniques, there's ideas, there's methods you can follow, but there's no single, absolutely 100% infallible recipe. And it sucks, I know. And the pH thing? Again, we need to educate ourselves a bit. Not just reading third-hand suppositions from a guy on a Facebook group who heard that you can't do this, or from the vendor on eBay telling you that his alder cones help create black water, etc. Learn about the basics of water chemistry if you're into this idea of trying to go with a really low pH in your tank. Peruse studies of natural black water environments and understand what influences are responsible for them. Yes, it's less easy to less easy to digest than you know that sexy Instagram stories post by Sickly Boy 456 on his Blackwater Aquarium or whatever. But it's the stuff you need to know to really understand this material. 
We've talked a lot about the many cautions and even myths surrounding keeping fishes in low pH environments. I'm not going to get into the techniques on that in this this podcast today, but we, I'll tell you about the philosophy though. We've learned that by simply not being afraid because they, whoever they are, have made them seem so scary and unimaginable for years, you could actually accomplish things. Rather, we're revisiting these parameters and trying to learn exactly what happens in them, what the biological operating system is, and what we need to know to manage them in our aquariums. It's been scientifically documented that humic substances contained in blackwater environments are essential to the health of almost all fishes and that they enable them to survive in these low pH habitats. We're starting to discover that creating a low pH aquarium is entirely possible and straightforward to manage if one learns the dynamics, even at these crazy low or seemingly crazy low pH levels. Much like the previous generation's discoveries about, you know, the aquarium functionality of African lift rate uh, lift, rift lake, why do I say lift lake? That's funny. Rift lake habitats and, you know, coral reefs and stuff. We're discovering that these are simply different types of environments which can be replicated and managed long term in the aquarium. We just have to figure out the operating parameters, just like we did with brackish as well not long ago. It's not scary, it's just different. Our understanding of the nitrogen cycle and the toxicity of ammonia versus ammonium and the importance of stability within a rain is starting to yield some results. I firmly believe that the next few years will bring about significant change, even breakthroughs in the way we as a hobby manage, care for, and spawn fishes which have long been thought problematic and difficult because of their specialized low pH habitats. It's as much about accepting a different way of thinking as it is about learning what's going on and attempting to replicate the function of these unique habitats. Mental shifts. It's always been there for us to examine these wild habitats. We've just been approaching replicating them with a jaded mindset, with maybe some fear, maybe some trepidation, maybe some, I don't want to do that, I want to do this. Now we're looking at them for what they are and the benefits that they provide for our fishes and just how to replicate them properly in the aquarium and how to manage them long term. And that's a huge leap that's happening right now with you. Now let me burst one final bubble before I call it a day here. We hear everyone talk about imparting tannins into our aquarium water by using all sorts of botanicals and such. It's cool and it's sort of vague and I admit we've probably used that term at least a few hundred times before. But I think we need to be realistic with our expectations about what information we can glean from our little experiments here. First off. There's currently no practical and easy off-the-shelf way, short of some pretty intense scientific testing on individual specimens of you know, various botanicals, to know exactly how much of what color-producing and pH-reducing tannins, humic substances, etc. are bound up in the tissues of any given botanical item. I mean, I'm sure there is a legitimate way to test batches of leaves and botanicals of a specific size, for example, and come up with an average quantity, and what measure I wouldn't be certain, of how much of what compounds are present. I mean, absolutely. There are ways to test for concentrations of tannins in water. For example, the Stiazny method, in which 100 milligrams of sample tannins are dissolved in 10 milliliters of distilled water, 100 milliliters of uh, hydrochloric acid, and 2 milliliters of 37% formaldehyde are added, and the mixture is heated under a reflux for 30 minutes, and the reaction mixture is filtered through, you know, censored glass filters, and the precipitate's washed with hot water and dried over calcium and the yield of tannin is expressed as a percentage of the weight of the starting material and yeah it's straightforward for a scientist in a lab but it's exceedingly difficult for the average hobbyist and i don't know too many people that actually want to take that on other than chemistry freaks and besides what what are you starting the test with sample tannins means what in our context i know it sounds discouraging at first now the good news is that there are actually test kits out there to do it 
Hawk, for example, makes a tannin lignin test kit, which I think is just amazing. It's a little pricey, but it's out there. And I think that would be a good starting point for many of those of us that are interested in finding out just what's going on in our aquariums. Knowing that you have a 20 US gallon tank filled with RODI water, a non-buffering substrate, you know, 12 magnolia leaves, 12 catapa leaves, and three, four inch cocoa curls, and, and 20 small alder cones or whatever, yielding a tannin reading of 15 milligrams per liter of tannic acid in the water or whatever. I mean, it's not perfect, but it'll at least help establish some sort of very crude yet aquarium relatable guidelines. Maybe we'll know that X amount of average size catapa leaves yields this type of an effect or whatever. It's how things start if we want to be more exact. We need a reference, a baseline comparison to natural waters like the Rio Negro, the Atabapo, etc, etc, etc. But these numbers have any real meaning, at least in my opinion. Sure, I've studied the water chemistry. There's studies online that show the exact chemical breakdown of some of the major blackwater rivers you know, in scholarly research. And much of this data is based on things we could test for in the aquarium, like TDS, pH, dissolved metals, conductivity, all that kind of stuff. But something like fulvic acid expressed as milligrams per liter is not something we've seen. Now, if some of my friends and colleagues who are scientific-minded and love to travel want to go to regions like the Amazon and other blackwater habitats around the world and invest in you know, one of these $160 tannin test kits, run some samples and record tests from various sites and different times of the year, etc., etc., we could probably at least have a baseline for concentrations of tannins in natural water. Another target we could shoot for when trying to replicate natural conditions. There would be really need to have a study of some of these natural habitats of replicable parameters and what they mean. Of course, even knowing that there are problems. First off, just knowing how much tannins in, are in a sample of natural water, although helpful, is simply a starting point. It's just a number. And if we did have numbers of how much of this stuff is bound up in the tissues of the various leaves and seed pods, etc., while interesting to know, it's really not all that useful when we don't really have a guideline as to how much of what specific compound or compounds are needed to create the specific effects that we're looking for in our aquariums. I know it's exasperating, right? And of course, even knowing that, would this be based on how much of what you need to achieve a pH reduction or 10 in humic substance part per million reading of what in a given sample of RODI water with a starting pH, TDS, and KH of what? And there's hundreds of tannins. Which ones are present in natural blackwater ecosystems that can be introduced into aquariums simply by adding the botanicals? Damn, this is not easy, is it? Oh, and being natural items, wouldn't the levels of these compounds within the leaf or a given seed pod tissues themselves vary from batch to batch, season to season, and be affected by preparation, the age of the materials, how they're stored, processed, etc., etc., etc.? See? Vague and challenging. It's not an exact science. We can't fool ourselves. It's still early days in our understanding of this stuff. It's a grand experiment in terms of the aquarium world. I'm focusing a lot more on geology and aquarium substrates lately to help facilitate more authentic blackwater conditions than I am on botanicals and leaves because that's how it works in nature. Geology plays a huge part in this. We can't delude ourselves here, but there's still much to learn. So if I made any argument here, it's that this stuff is every bit as much of an art in terms of aquarium keeping as it is a science. We will, at least for the foreseeable future, have to use the data that we you know, have available and formulate best guesses as to how much of what can give us some of the impacts that we're interested in for aquariums. We as hobbyists and vendors simply can't authoritatively make blanket statements like you need to use X number of catapa leaves per gallon in order to recreate real Negro-like conditions in your aquarium. That stuff doesn't fly anymore. It's complete bullshit. When we use that kind of marketing hyperbole, we're really sort of shooting in the dark and doing a great disservice to the hobby that we all care about. 
We simply can admit that we need to observe, experiment, and celebrate the good results we achieve and try to replicate them when possible. And that's certainly nothing to be discouraged about. We are, as a community, getting deeper into the functional aspects of blackwater or botanical-style aquariums than ever before. More light's being shed on what's going on in both our aquariums and in the natural habitats that we desire to replicate. We're learning more every day about how the presence of tannins and humic substances in our aquariums is affecting the health, longevity, and spawning behaviors of our fishes. We're learning about fungal growth, decomposition, allochthonous input, all those biological processes that impact and occur in these kind of environments and what they can do in the aquarium. We're learning about the challenges and the realities of managing blackwater systems over the long term. Understanding the good, the bad, and the dangerous possibilities that are present when we experiment with these ideas. Like everything else, just contemplating these things leads to more questions than answers, I know. But it shows you how much there is for us as hobbyists to learn and understand, particularly from the wild habitats. Watching our fishes and observing our aquariums creates unique opportunities to break away from the dangerous groupthink that has, in my opinion, held the hobby back in recent years. Keeping an open mind and gently questioning why stuff is in our hobby will help us move beyond any previous restraints that we've had. Style? Nah. It's an approach, a methodology, an experiment. And it does result in some cool-looking tanks. But definitely not a style in the typical sense. So yeah, the word style is my cross to bear. I'm sorry about that, and I'll do my best to stop using that. Or maybe not. Yeah, somebody actually forwarded me the definition of the word style as defined by Merriam-Webster, and it reads as follows. A particular manner or technique by which something is done, created, or performed. Hmm, so we don't exactly have to lose the term style, we just have to think about it in a different manner. Words do matter, don't they? They sure do. That's a clean ending to a very long discussion today, I know. That works for me. As for you, stay thoughtful, stay curious, stay restoreful, stay patient, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.